There are plenty of, of young people who are still hungry for a move of God. And as, as we begin to see this happen in, in the earth and in this nation, I'm praying it just grows and grows and grows. And people will, will say things, well, it's just emotionalism and, and uh, just singing songs, and it's just this cultural, but I hope, I, I hope that it becomes a cultural thing, that we have a culture and a lifestyle of revival in this nation. Uh, it even has made it on to Fox News, and they've been reporting on it. I actually saw a clip of the report. It was Tucker Carlson or, or whatever his name is. He, he, was, he interviewed a student from Asbury, and, and there's thousands. I mean, there are people traveling from all over the place to go see what's going on here. And they said, let, let, we want to go, and we want to bring our cameras in and see what's going on and all that. And uh, they, were, they planned the whole trip, and Asbury found out about it, and they contacted him and said, please don't come. Please don't come. And, and he said, you know, and he, he made the comment, you know, there's something special going on there that I think this world needs. And he, and he said, it's very, very rare that you come across somebody who doesn't want publicity. He goes, and it's, there's two reasons why they don't want publicity. And he said, the first and the most common is that they're doing something really wrong and they don't want people to know about it. He said, but the other he goes, and what I believe is happening here, on a very rare occasion, it's because they are doing something so right that our cameras and our news can't benefit it, but only detract from it. And it would, we would be nothing but a distraction. Asbury wrote a letter, said it's nothing personal. It, there's, it's not that we don't want you here and all that. It was, we're not trying to be disrespectful towards you in the news station, but we don't want to interrupt what God is doing. This is a holy moment. And so he, he talks about this on national news. This is something that we just has been unheard of for so long. And, and I find it funny that we, that we spend so much time praying for revival. God, revive our nation. Do a work in our nation. Do something special. And then when it comes, we sit there and we're like, wait a minute, is this really you, God? Is this really you? Something isn't right here. And I know we prayed for this to happen, but now that it's happening, I don't know if this is really what it, what it was. And it's because we oftentimes have our own mindset made up about what revival should look like and how it should happen in our, in our eyes. And I'll tell you, there are things that should happen in a revival. There are fruits that should come forward through all of this. Repentance, healing, deliverance, all of those types of things should come out of revival. But even if it was just people coming together and worshiping God, and this nation was turning a corner to where people were coming back to where we would gather together across this country to worship God. I'll take it. I'll take it. 
and we need to be careful with this, but as, as I've watched these things unfold and, and I've seen different things, and I, there was, I heard a story just yesterday where a lady was demon-possessed, showed up at Asbury, and they cast this demon out of her, and, and, and people were, were coming to the altar, running to the altar, repenting and, and changing and, and, and leaving different than what they came. And I said, Lord, don't let it stop. And don't let it only be at this university, but let it be here in our church, in our body. And as God began to speak to me about this, he, he, he said, well, there's, there's a recipe that needs to be followed. And it's not that we can really cook something up on our own, no pun intended. But there are, there are things that have to happen for revival to happen. There are, there's a heart alignment that we have to have. There, there are things that have to be in order and in place within us before God shows up and moves. And I, I want to work, work through a recipe that God laid on my heart that we find here in 2 Kings 4. It's where Elisha comes to this town and there's this wealthy woman living there and He's coming in and he's doing ministry, the ministry of a prophet. He's a messenger of God, a, a, an ambassador of God, doing God's work in the land for him. And, and, and she notices something about him. And she says to her husband one day, she says, I know this is a holy man of God. Let's not just let him continue to pass by and pass through and keep on going, but let's build a place for him to dwell with us. You know, one of the, the biggest things with, with, when God is moving is the ability to recognize when he's moving. You see, we, 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 we criticize everything, we're skeptical of everything, and we question everything, and yet we still somehow fail to recognize what is of God and what isn't. We need to be praying for discernment to say, Lord, show us when you're moving. This woman had a discernment about her that she was able to look at Elisha and said, every time he shows up, he's speaking the word of God, people are getting healed, people are getting delivered, and, and there, there's, there's so much good that happens. This can't just be a regular celebrity man. That There is something special about him. And she comes to this knowledge that he is a holy man of God, and she says, listen, she goes to her husband, says, listen, we can't just let this man keep on passing by and passing through. We, we can't just, she, she says, I don't want him to just come on by, say hello, and keep on moving. Which is what a lot of our weeks look like. We have little moments with God throughout the week. We come to church, he comes in, he passes on, he, we eat with him, we dine with him, we have time with him, and then he, we just kind of move on and, and do our thing. And, and, and then throughout the week, if you are somebody that reads your Bible and has devotional time, you have this moment with him, you, you have time with him, and then he kind of moves on, and you move on, and, and, and it's not this continuous dwelling that it should be. This woman looks at her husband and says, listen, we can't allow this just to be little moments anymore with him. She goes, we need him to dwell with us. So let's build a place for him. She said, let's, let's take and build a room with walls, which 
you, you would think you don't need to talk about having walls if you have a room, but I'm going to get to that here in just a second. She says, let's put it on the roof where he has a place here, and we're going to put some furnishings in it, and we'll get to those here in a second. But she says, he needs a place in our house. I don't want him staying at somebody else's house. I don't want him staying down the street. I don't want him staying at the Motel 6. I want him here with us. We can't just watch God do things in other places and dwell in other places. You see, God is not Elisha and that God can be everywhere at every point in time. He's not just for Asbury University or Lee University. or Those aren't the only places that he can and wants to dwell. You see, there's a moment that we're living in where he's coming through and he's passing through and he's, he's asking his people, who is going to build a place for me to dwell? Who is going to make a space for me? And, you know, before we can really see a, a corporate revival within our church, we, we as individuals need to make that decision for ourselves. We need to say is, within my personal life, I'm going to create a place for God to dwell. And it needs to have walls to it. Because you can't just have a place for the holy man of God, for God himself to dwell, and just allow anything and everything to come in there and be there. Because the holy cannot dwell with the unholy. See, maybe you're, you, you need to build this place in a more practical way, and you need to set aside a time and a space within your home that you are uninterrupted. You have walls up, and it's just you and him in this room. And that is your time with him, and that's where you begin to let him dwell in your life. You need to build this space for him. You see, this room, as far as we know, was not really ever used for any other purpose and other than when her son dies, and we'll get to that, but, but for any other purpose other than for him to come and dwell amongst them. This wasn't, this wasn't a place where they would go into this prayer closet like many do and, and then all of a sudden you're thinking about all the things, the shopping you got to do, the groceries you got to get, the kids that need picked up, the grandkids who are coming in and the trips you got coming up and you don't even, you spend three hours in the prayer closet but didn't pray. This, there has to be a place that is designated for God in your life. And see, God doesn't just want to be the first priority of your life. He wants to be the first priority within everything in your life. He wants to be the head of your marriage. He wants to be the head of your finance. He wants to be the head of your career. He wants to be the head of your home. He wants to be the head of it all, not just this, this category of our life that we keep separate from everything else. You see, when she had him build, build this room on the roof, it was, it was symbolic. And what God showed me is that their physical roof protected them from physical elements and, and harsh rains and storms. But there was a spiritual covering when they put this room for a spiritual purpose on top of their house. It created a spiritual covering over their home that shielded them from spiritual battles. And spiritual storms. God began to show this to me. There was many furnishings, or not many furnishings rather, that were put in here. It was a very simple space. There wasn't much to be distracted by. 
See, I think we've really just gotten to be way too busy as a society. Like, we are so occupied with so many things. We fill our space, our life, with everything but what we really need. All they put in this room, all they had in there for him, was a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. That, that's so simple. You could, I could probably walk into any one of your houses and you got more than that within your home. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when we begin to allow spiritual clutter and, and things to enter our minds and our spirits that have taken up all this space, how could you ever hear the voice of God? There's too much going on. Within this room, there, there's just a few things. God began to speak to me a little bit about these items in this room and what they represent. The first item in the room is the bed. Seems a little obvious, but this bed represents a place of rest. It's where all the activity, all the things that are going on in your life, when you go home at night and it's time to lay down, all of that stops. You lay your head down and your whole life comes to a resting point when you go to sleep. This, this isn't to say we need to just fall asleep in the presence of God, but rather to make a point that we at times need to hit the pause button and let everything in our life come to a resting point, to shut it all down. You see, when you're asleep, you're not thinking about your to-do list. When you're asleep, all you're doing is resting and sleeping. You're not cleaning your house. You're not worried about cleaning your house when you're asleep. Now, you may be worried about it up until you fall asleep. But there are times and moments when everything needs to come to a rest and just be present in this place with God. A great example of this is Mary and Martha. In Luke chapter 10, uh, we see this story where, where uh, Jesus uh, shows up into this village and a, a Martha invites him in to her home. And they're, and they're in this house and they're together. And uh, Jesus sits down and Mary sits down at his feet and just begins to listen. Martha gets upset. Says Jesus, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm washing the dishes. I'm cleaning. I'm cooking. I'm doing all these things. Why won't you tell her to come help me? And he says, Listen, all this stuff that you're worried about, there's only one thing that really truly matters. And Mary's figured it out. We get so tied up in all of the doing and, and the working and the laboring and everything that we forget to just sit at the feet of Jesus in his presence and let him speak to us. Rest is biblical. There's God in his power established the Sabbath for us. We aren't supposed to go nonstop. The whole point of the Sabbath, Jesus said it himself, the Sabbath was made for men. Men were not made for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath is about you finding a time of rest and refreshment. More specifically, refreshment and rest in the presence of God. You see, we are so worn out all the time, and it's because our spirit is tired more, than, more so than our body. 
And God is saying, if we're ever going to have a revival in our life, at some point you have to stop. They canceled classes. They, they stopped all the programming during this time. And they said, listen, this is a holy moment. We recognize it. We're going to take this chapel. We're going to allow it to be a place for the Lord to come and dwell with us. And we are going to essentially come to the bed and rest in this. Classes can wait. Papers and testing can wait, but when God shows up, all the busyness of all that, we, we cannot miss this moment. God is in this place, and we need to sit at his feet and let him pour into us and fuel us and do what he wants to do. The next thing that's in this room that we find is a table. A table. A table represents fellowship. Think about it. Every meal that we have, when we have potlucks and things here, and we just had our community dinner Wednesday and all that, what happens around a table? Yes, you eat, but there's fellowship that takes place. And I'm not just talking about fellowship with other people, but it's great when you can participate in this with other people. I'm talking about fellowship with the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. You see, we don't designate, like I said earlier, enough time to fellowship with him. You see, if we don't have the time where we sit and we are in his word and we are in prayer and we are truly fellowshipping with him. I heard one time, and I don't have the updated data to 100% support this, but if I remember right from what I heard a while ago, I think the national average for the amount of time people spend in prayer every day for Christians is like less than 10 minutes a day. And that means there are people who are praying for hours and hours, and then there's people who are praying for like two minutes, if even that, sometimes 30 seconds a day, if at all. And that average balances out to be less than 10 minutes. That is, that's crazy. We want God to do revival in our life. You want God to, to revive a marriage. You want God to revive a career, your children, your home. You, you want these things revived, but you don't spend time with him. How will you ever even know what to do if you don't spend time with him for him to tell you what you need to do? We just want God to come in and, and, and wave his magic wand around and just fix everything and we don't have to do anything. There's actually a story in, in, in Second Kings about a man named Naaman. He, he has leprosy and, and, and the, the prophet, he, he sent to Elisha to be healed of this leprosy. And he gets mad because he's told to go bathe in the Jordan River seven times. And he goes, seriously, I got to go do all that? Why can't you just wave your hand over me and let me be healed? That is the, that is the exchange that takes place. And we are not much different. God gives direction and we just want him to do it all. And never have us do anything. If you don't have fellowship with him, you will never get the direction. The next piece of furniture that's in this room is a chair. In other words, it's a throne for Jesus. 
We already have our place of rest. But if Jesus is not the object of revival, it's not a revival, it's a pep rally. If we come together to seek the face of God, or so we say, and it's not centered around Jesus, it's not centered around him, it's not a revival. It's just us getting ourselves excited. If Jesus is not the center of it, it's not a revival. If Jesus isn't the center of it, it's not going to last either. Because all those other things that we center our lives around, they're temporary. But Jesus is eternal. And if revival is centered around him, it doesn't have to come to an end. But if it's not about him and it's not about a pursuit of him, if we don't have him on the throne of it all, if we come into revival seeking anything other than him, see, our, our motivation for revival is oftentimes selfish ambition. We want this, we want that, we want all these things to happen, we want those things to happen. And, and if we would just stop doing that and just seek after him, those things would just happen on their own. You'd be amazed at what problems you could solve if you just followed Jesus. If he was on the throne of your life. See, we love to talk about Jesus as the Savior. We don't really get into talking about him as the Lord. Because the Lord means somebody else is telling us what to do. Savior's nice, and it's wonderful, and I'm grateful for it. But for him to be Savior, we are forgiven, we are washed clean, we are made righteous before God. And then in, 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 if he's not Lord, then we're missing out on all the other things. The victory and the direction and the wisdom that comes. He has to be on the throne and the center of it. The last piece of furniture that's in this room is a lamp. The Bible calls the word of God a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. If what is taking place, if, if it does not line up with his word, the light of his word, and the truth of his word, we are not really truly experiencing a revival. See, there are so many things that can get wild and crazy in a church, in our personal lives, that we may say, oh man, God is moving, God is doing this and doing that, and it doesn't line up with the word of God a bit. What's an example of that? You see, God's not going to lead you down a path that's going to lead to more destruction. You see, sometimes we will... I know this seems really crazy, for people who really do walk in the light of God's word. And it's like, how could that ever happen? But there are churches in this country that are now saying things that the word of God calls a sin. They're saying those things are okay and they're right. And there is a, 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 a revival's not the right word because it's not a revival, but there is this mentality that there is a, a revelation and, and what is happening of a new truth and this new understanding and, and, uh, of God's word and all this stuff is now permissible that has never been before. 
I'm grateful they haven't really attempted to label these things revival, publicly anyway. But there's this whole movement that has taken and moved things away from God's word. See, a revival will never lead you into things that are not of God. It's crazy to think that you even have to say something like this. But if the things that are taking place are not in line with God's word, then it's out of order. And it's not of God. For revival to happen, we have to be in line with his word. First, you got to read his word. That's, that's a whole nother animal to talk about. We can't be bothered. We can, we can be bothered to sit and scroll through social media. We can read newspapers. We can watch the news. We can watch hours and hours of TV. We can do all this other stuff, and then we have the nerve to say, I just don't have time to read his word today. We, we'll even say, make excuses. It's an excuse. Well, I just don't understand it. You study it to understand it. The Bible says to study to show yourself approved. Like, you have to work at it. Like, you weren't alive when this stuff happened. Of course you don't understand the cultural things, the contextual, the contextual things, all, all, everything that's in it. There's, there, there are things that you have to read and you have to study. It, there are classical books. If you're a bookworm and you read these old books... You can read old poetry, ancient poetry, all these things. And if you don't understand anything about the culture, you're like, what in the world is this even talking about? What does this even mean? Because they're in this book, in this word of God, there are cultural references and things that when you study them, you understand they still apply today. But if you don't take the time to actually study his word, no wonder you won't understand it. Well, that just seems like a lot of work. You know what else seems like a lot of work? Walking in darkness, confused, unaware of what God's will is for your life, lacking wisdom, making bad decisions, constantly falling and failing because you don't know where to turn and what to do. That seems like a whole lot more work to me than to take the time to understand what God has spoken to us. You see, this, this, this whole this whole revival thing, you maybe say, well, how, do, how, how do we know that this is a, a actual revival recipe? Well, this woman herself experienced a revival because of these things. If you continue reading on the story, which we won't, I'm just going to tell you what happens. Elisha, one day, has this woman brought to her and trying to figure out, you've done all these things. You've honored me. You've taken care of me. What is it that you want in your life? What is it that I can help you with and take care of? And, 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 and what can God do for you? Because you've taken the time to do all of this. Before I go any further, listen, there are things that you want to happen in your life and things that haven't happened in your life that you have stressed out about and worried about that if you would have just taken time to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all those things would have been added to you. Finally, it's discovered she's never had a child. 
And so he comes to her and says, this time next year, you're going you're gonna to have a son. He says, you'll be holding a baby this time next year. So that day comes. She has this baby, and I don't know how much time has passed from the birth of this child to the next event, but he's old enough to where he's out in the field with his father. And out of nowhere, out of nowhere, this boy starts crying out, my head, my head. And he's brought to his mother, and his mother holds him, and he dies. That, that's a horrible, sad story. And you see, we always have the benefit of being able just to take a few more minutes and read, and we get the happy ending. But this mother, this promise of God that has happened in her life, and I could, I could go on and on about the attack on the mind and all of these things that were experienced by this young man that caused him to get to this point and the spiritual representation of all of these things. But the, the key here is that this mother took him to this room that she had built for the prophet Elisha. That for how many years that this young man was, he's old enough to talk, he's old enough to be out in the field. She carried him up and laid him on this bed. She could have left him there. She could have taken him out and buried him. But she said, no, I'm going to take him to a holy place. She leaves and she goes and she hunts down Elisha. Elisha's servant says, or Elisha sees her, sends his servant, asks her what's going on. And she says, all is well. All is well. And then she gets to Elisha and begins to weep tells him what happens, and eventually Elisha makes his way back to that room. Maybe Elisha had been regularly staying there, maybe not, maybe it's been a while, but he goes up into that room with that boy who is now dead. He stretches himself across him, and eventually that boy sneezes seven times and then opens his eyes, and he is revived. And it is because of this woman's willingness to establish a place in, the, in her family's life where the presence of God and the workings of God can come and dwell. Yes. Yes. Not just pass by, not just have little moments of time, but it is because of her honoring of God that God fulfilled his promise of giving her a son. You may say, well, the son died. He was resurrected. She did not lose her son. The promise of God was not taken away from her. Because when God promises something, he follows through with it. You see, there, there was a revival that happened because of these things that this woman did. If we want to experience revival in our lives... We must build a place for God to dwell. We must build a place. Your personal life, if you need a revival in your marriage, in your, your finances, your children, whatever it may be that you need revived in your life, it starts with creating a place for the presence of God to dwell in your life. When your life honors him, he'll come and ask you, what is this thing you need and want in your life? 
and you'll begin to see works and miracles and revival happen in your life. See, your revival is not just shouting and running and screaming and hooting and hollering and dancing and doing the Holy Ghost helicopter. It's, not, it's none of those things. Those things happen, and those are the things we talk about, and we remember that Sister So-and-So's bobby pins were flying so fast out of her head that they stuck in the wall, and that there's bubble gum left up here, and because somebody got filled with the Holy Spirit and spit their gum out, and uh, I, I can talk about those things because I used to clean a church when I started, and those were the things I saw. And there, there somebody fell and rolled up underneath the seats, and, and uh, they fell out in the spirit, and they're rolling around back and forth, and you're, you're seeing all kinds of stuff. And that, that's the stuff that we talk about and we remember, and that's what we label a revival as. Although those things happen within revival and at revivals, the real True revivals are the, is the life and breath of God being breathed back into his people and into his church. The, the thing that breaks my heart and that is sad is that we need revivals. It's sad that we need revival. Because what if we just lived our life every day in revival? And we lived our life every day where the breath of God was renewing and refreshing us. And we didn't need some special occasion moving of God, but our, our life was just one big movement of God. And we didn't need to roll in the floor and have bobby pins taking people's eyes out. and We, we didn't need all that because every day God was moving. We can live in a spirit of revival. We don't have to just have a moment in time. Who knows how long this revival will last? Maybe it never stops. Maybe it never stops. I hope it doesn't. I hope it just grows and grows and grows and grows. And we see an entire nation turn back to God. That's what I'm praying for. That is what I am praying for, that we never get weary of it. The people that are worshiping continue to worship. And I'd love to see the people there just grow to be 100 years old and they, didn't, they just never left the chapel. That would be awesome. But history tells us that it is not something we can sustain in our own human flesh. That at some point, this big moment... Will 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 subside. That's what history. T- I don't know what God wants to do. I'm just telling you what history has said. Whenever these things happen, they are a moment that comes and then goes. There are lives that are changed forever. There are people who are transformed by these events. But eventually, the realities of life set back in, and some some point you got to go back to work. Some point you got to eat. Some point because we are flesh and blood we will have our time of eternal worship when we get in the presence of God in heaven but my point is this 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 big moment of corporate revival although it may at some point subside your individual life of revival doesn't have to
you can live every day in a spirit of revival. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I want us to have those types of moments here at this church, and I believe we will.